What a, what a special morning we've gotten to experience together, seeing all these families and babies and children. It's such a, it's such a cool thing. It's such a, a right thing. But let me say this this morning very clearly. It's more than all that. What you've seen here is a Jesus thing. Uh, in fact, here's the, the, the point of our message this morning, is that Jesus says the kingdom, his kingdom, is a kid's kingdom. You know, we think of kid's kingdom, and we think about the kids on the stage, or we think about going down that hallway to my left where it says kid's kingdom. And Jesus would say to us today, you've got it mislabeled. The only kids in this building are not the ones who came on this stage. If we're going to enter the kingdom of God, we've all got to be kids. And there are two moments in the Gospels that I want to bring up to you real quickly. There's that moment in Mark chapter 10 where where people are bringing their babies for Jesus to bless them. And the disciples rebuke the parents. It's like, my goodness, Jesus doesn't have time for this. I mean, he's almost to the cross. He's got to save the world. These kids hadn't even reached the age of accountability, you know? I mean, let's, let's don't fool with these kids. And they rebuked the parents. And, and the Bible says, for the only time ever, Jesus was irate. He was indignant. He was so angry. And he rebukes his disciples. And then he says these words from Mark chapter 10. Look at those on the screen for a second. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then in the passage we're going to look at this morning, it says this about children. Look at there, the next verse from Matthew chapter 10. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom. Go to that next slide, please. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to focus on that just for a moment. First of all, Jesus is being extremely countercultural. In ancient societies, children were looked down upon. They were easily discarded if you didn't like them. And so Jesus' view of children was revolutionary. But then his view of entering his kingdom is just as revolutionary. Did you hear the last line here? You will never, you hear that one? Never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a little child. That gets your attention? There's something big going on here that Jesus says we must learn. Why do you enter the kingdom of God as a child? Well, let's look at the context here. First of all, Matthew 18, verse 1. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus' disciples are like any group of men on a team. They're competitive and they're prideful, right? And they're trying to jockey for position. And they want to know who is the greatest. Can you only imagine that discussion? You know, John says, it's, it's obviously me. I'm Jesus' best friend. Um, Andrew says, no, it's none of you guys. I brought most of you to the Lord. And Peter says, forget it, guys. I'm the greatest. I was the first to confess Jesus is the Messiah. And they all moan and say, but Peter... Just a few verses later, he had to call you Satan. So, what a story. And then, while they're arguing, Jesus pulls 
a fast went on them. I'm going to do exactly what Jesus did. All right? Come here, Leo. Could you come with me just for a second? We've got some good crackers. This is my pal, Leo. And look what's, oh, look what's coming out of his mouth. Pretty good stuff. And look at his tie. And that's what Jesus did. He just went out to the audience. They're all over here arguing about who's the greatest. He said, time out. Let me show you who's the greatest. It's Leo. So give Leo a big hand, okay? Good job, man. All right. So go, go to verse 2. Go into verse 2. Let me show you that. Okay. He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said this, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about here? Why are children so important? Number one, children teach us how to follow Jesus. Now, a lot of times we get to this point, and we start listing attributes of children. We say children are innocent. Well, I've known some pretty scheming children, haven't y'all? We say children are happy. <laughs> I've seen some pretty unhappy children. My son Lincoln was miserable until he was about two years old and he could talk. Ask Don Gillum. He's in here. Don kept him in the nursery and kept him, just like Leo, stuffed with goldfish. And, 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 and yet he was just a screaming, difficult child until he could talk, and then he is our easiest child. And so all children aren't happy. A lot of times we say, Jesus says to be like a child because children are obedient. Have you ever met that child? <laughs> I've never met that child yet. So what's he saying? Jesus tells us. Why is the child the example of how to enter the kingdom of heaven? Here's the answer. They're humble. They're totally dependent on their parents. They can't live without you. They're not afraid to ask for help. And my oldest daughter, Laura, was young. Uh, we just would, all of a sudden, she's really, really young, just a few months old. And we'd walk in the living room, and she'd be on the carpet, and she'd just have her hands just stuck straight up. I thought she was just extremely spiritual. But um, <laughs> what I found out is that was just her way of saying, pick me up. And then when she got old enough to talk, our two favorite words from her, she said, need you, need you. And Jesus is saying here, that's what makes children your example. They don't have it figured out. They just need you. They just need God. And they're not afraid to ask for help. I got my three starky grandkids living in our house right now while they're in between, you know, houses. And, you know, they're, they're not afraid to ask for help. I mean, two or three days, chocolate milk, grandbuddy, chocolate milk. <laughs> and, and now they figured out how much chocolate they want in every glass. And sport does not want you to stir his chocolate. <laughs> he just wants the powder in there. And so they get very specific and demanding. And Jesus says, that's the way you come in the kingdom of God. You just simply ask and you believe. Now, I was hearing them pray the other night before dinner. And uh, they all were praying. 
and sport had heard on the news somewhere, saw something, it was so sweet, that there were children across the world that were sick and that were starving. And just with the innocence and beauty of a child, he's like, God, help those children. And he's believing it's going to happen. I like what someone said, children can explain little, but they can enjoy much. Some of our problem as adults is that we get to the point where we actually believe we can explain a lot <coughs> and we enjoy just a little. So the way we follow Jesus, the way we start, the way we continue is just with absolute humility and dependence. See, it's so easy as we get older and we think we've accomplished things and think we understand things that we actually think we've got something to bring to the table. So we're about to take communion. Because to me, communion is another indication that we're totally dependent on God. Because what do you bring to the communion table to contribute to your salvation? Absolutely nothing. The only thing that can save you is what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what we celebrate. So before we celebrate that, we're going to sing a song in just a moment. A classic old song. I don't... It just came to my mind this week studying. Rock of Ages. Now let me tell you a little bit about that song. It was written by a man named Augustus Toplady. He was traveling from a village to another village, <coughs> excuse me, in England. And while he's walking, there's a downpour. And he has to go in this gorge of rocks, in the cliff of the rock. And he's able to escape it. And then when he gets home, he writes these powerful words. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save me from wrath and make me pure. Interesting, what's a rock of ages? Rock is a great metaphor in scripture for God. Rock is something that you can build your life on. It's an unfailing source of strength. We often even say today, he, she's my rock. That's what God is. How about that weird little phrase, be of sin the double cure. Here's what top lady was thinking there. When you encounter Jesus, not only does he cleanse you from the guilt of sin, but through the Holy Spirit, he gives you the power to overcome sin. So not only are you saved in that moment, you will be sanctified. That's the double cure. And then the third verse says exactly what we need to think about these next few moments. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Let's pray together. God, <coughs> as we prepare to take communion today, God, help us to come to this table, not because we deserve to be here, or because we've gone to church enough, or read our Bible enough, or prayed enough, or done enough good deeds, that you had to accept us, because that's just not the truth. We come with nothing in our hands. We come to this moment to cling to your cross. And Lord, we can't explain all this. 
but help us in these next moments to be like a little child who can explain little, but can enjoy much. So we base our life on you, the rock of ages. Help us to praise you as we remember today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bible back up and be seated. Back to Matthew 18. Let's keep walking through that. You have to go pretty quick right now. I've got one more cough drop left to um, suck on, okay, to make sure I'm okay. Now, let's go to verse 5. Why are children the kingdom of God? Verse 5 says this. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. His second point is, when you welcome children, you welcome Jesus. Often we wonder, how can I encounter Jesus? How can I be close to Jesus? Jesus puts it this way. When you love on a child, you love on me. It's like inviting a friend over for dinner. And the friend comes in and they show up at your door and they knock on the door. And they brought someone with them. And of course you let them in and entertain them. Jesus is saying, when you open your door to a friend, there's another friend that comes with them. When you open a door to a child, Jesus walks in too. So it's so important that we welcome children. It says so much about a church, the way you welcome children. We love children. That's what's so important about our kids' kingdom. That's what I love about all those who work back there, from volunteers to staff who just make sure there's love. I like this quotation from George McDonald. I do not have faith in a man's Christianity if children are not found occasionally playing at his doorstep. Children are great judges of character, and they know whether you want to really be with them or not. Now let's go to some really rough verses, so buckle up on this one. Verse 6 and 7. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. He says here, when you mislead children, you invite God's wrath. You see, God is always for the underdog in a special way. He's for the person that might be neglected, the person that's vulnerable. And we know even in our culture today, children are the most vulnerable parts of our, our culture. They can be the most easily manipulated, the most easily exploited, the most easily abused, neglected. We see a lot of that. And here's what we need to know. It makes God really, really, really mad. Nobody's going to get by with that. Nobody will get by with that. And, And many of us, I think, we probably display some of the heart of God there. I know it, it, do, do you ever walk in like Walmart, you're going down the aisles, and you see a couple over here, or maybe a mother and their child, or father and their child, and they're just being rough on the child, just sort of jerking the child around, and you, you get close enough, and you hear the way they speak to them, and you just go, oh my goodness, you ever feel that? I, I don't know about you, but I just want to go grab the child, sort of like I grab Leo. I just trying to get him away from you, Hinton. I just wanted, I, I, I just want to go grab the child and take care of him. And here's what I want you to know. 
That's what God's like. He says, it's not going to be forgotten. People who abuse children. It would be so much better for them, better for them, better for them to have a millstone, heavy stone, tied around their neck and thrown in the ocean. You see, what God wants is the opposite. It's for us to love on children, invest in children. I said the, the teenager senior night the other night, and Ella Beth's been up here singing this morning, and I love when you know, she was sharing about who in the youth group had really impacted her. And she said, when I was like a ninth grader, I got in the youth group, and there was this 12th grader, Lauren Brady, and she invested in me. I thought, yes, that's what ought to happen. But how many times have we seen it happen the opposite? A young kid gets in a youth group, or, and, and there's a, a 12th grader that misleads them and gets them in trouble. Or someone comes to church. And, you know, they're all fired up, and they make friends with a lukewarm family. And before they're long, they're lukewarm. Jesus says, you better wake up. If your influence is not helping people be more like him, you got the wrong influence going. Now, look how much God cares about children. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, they're angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. Can't go into depth on this, but I think this is truly teaching guardian angels. God cares so much about children, he puts angels in charge. And then let's look at one more section. It's a, it's a common story Jesus tells. But in this context, he puts a new twist to it. I've never read this story and thought it had anything to do with children. But Jesus makes sure we know it has everything to do with children. Look at verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And here's the tie-in. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. You see, guys, this fits God's mission. Here's point four. Receiving people, including children, I should say especially children, is God's highest priority. You say, God's got some really bad math here. What's this deal about? I mean, you're going to leave the 99 on the mountain? To go after this one, and God says, absolutely, my heart is for one more. My heart is for that person that's been left out. My heart is for that underdog, and I am willing to take the risk to seek them. Some um, ancient manuscripts have within this section what we hear in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Guys, listen, understand this. God's highest priority is lost people. And he knows the children, there are no grandchildren in God's kingdom. You're not born into the kingdom. You are born again in the kingdom. And so God is after that. He's seeking out the lost. So one good test for you and I as adults, one good test of whether we really care about lost people is how we treat children. Here are the statistics. Three out of four Christian adults become believers before age 18. 
George Barna, the church growth expert, says most effective churches he studied were the most intentional about reaching and discipling children. That's why this morning, I hope you can see by everything we've done, this is a high priority in our church. It's a high priority in staffing. We're so blessed to have Hannah and Sharon leading our children's ministry. It's so important in scheduling. It's a priority. You see all the things going on with children this summer. That's not easy. That's costly. But we know investing our children, according to Jesus, may be our best investment. It is high priority of our volunteers. We've got the greatest volunteer base in our children. Now, what you know, when you receive a child in that nursery or in the kids' kingdom hall, here's what we're studying today. You're not just holding that kid. You are receiving Jesus. It's that big a deal. So let me challenge this to the church real quickly as we're closing. What we must be, we must be receiving. We're talking to Hannah Arrington. She's actually taking... Kelly uh, Sermon's place after so many beautiful years of Kelly's service. We appreciate her so much. So we had to find someone to take her place back in the nursery. So I was getting talked to Hannah the other day. She loves children. She's so excited about it. And I said, Hannah, when you receive children there in that nursery, you make a bigger impression than any of the rest of us. You know, they can dislike me and dislike the preaching. They might even, unbelievably, not like Jeremy Swindle. You know? <laughs> But I'm telling you what, if you take care of their children, they're not going anywhere. Because we love our children. And guys, we've got to be receiving. We've got to be real. Children can smell a phony anywhere. There are too many phony churches where everybody come to church and try to pretend they're okay when they're not. And your children know that. Because they see what goes on at home. They see what goes on around them. And what they're looking for is a church that's real and vulnerable. And then we got to be a relaxed church. Now, I love some of the noise from children we've heard in church today. That's not a bad thing to me. That's a good thing. That shows me life. That shows me growth. we got to relax. Children are going to run sometimes when they shouldn't. They're going to knock things over sometimes when we wish they wouldn't. They're going to make messes. They're going to leave Kool-Aid on the carpet. I mean, you know, if you got children stuff going on, you stuff going on, just, I, I get so tired when I've been in churches like, oh, the young people did this, or the children did this, can you believe this? Some churches are more concerned with protecting their buildings than they are of reaching children. That's wrong, amen? That's, we have this building not to protect it, but to use it, and we need to wear it out with our children. Thank you, Jeremy agrees with me. See, Jeremy, I do like you, okay? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we must be open for children. We must be relaxed. You can't be uptight and be good with children. And then one more point here. We've got to be relevant. They will not stick around if we are out of touch. That's why we don't teach with flannel graph anymore. Sorry, guys. You don't use flyograph in an iPad world. And that's why we try to stay relevant. That's one of the major reasons that your leadership is working toward and preparing for an instrumental service. It's not because we want it. I like this. It's not because the elders want to go through the criticism of trying to make this move. They don't need that. 
It is because we're losing our children. Go to the average Church of Christ and see how many kids are still around. If I were to ask people how many of their kids have left to go to instrumental services, it would be huge. Because listen, thank God, these new generations of children didn't grow up listening to music I listen to. They've got an alternative. They've got Christian music. Thank God. And they love it. And when they come to church, that's the way they connect, whether we like it or not. And so this is always going to be an option. We're not going to force instrumental worship on anybody. But for the sake of our children, for the sake of our grandchildren, I want to keep them in this movement with some truth that we want to hold on to. But we're not going to let that be a barrier. And I appreciate our leadership on that. So, it's not easy. But Jesus taught us this is not easy. He said, oh, people can be... Listen, Jesus says, you leave the 99 and you go for the one. It's worth it. So as we get to our invitation part today, thank God this front row is back open. And if you need to come to the front row and ask for prayers, we've got some response cards here, or you've got response cards in the pew in front of you. If you'd rather not sit here and be surrounded, just, just hand it to me, and I'll pray about it. But you see, this is our moment for humility. You know, you know if, if, if you today are not following Jesus and you need to be baptized, you know, just think about it. It's actually humbling that you're going to come up here and change some church clothes and get in the water and get dunked and be wet. But that's what Scripture says. You meet the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So who cares what anybody else thinks? Humble yourself. Do what Jesus told you to do. Be baptized. Start your life all over again. And then for some of us who've been wandering away, they've lost that innocent, childlike spirit who aren't humble. I'm stuck in my sin. I've got too much pride to admit it. I'm not really living for Jesus. And you do what some people told me. I would never show up on this front row. Let me just tell you something real clearly. You need to repent. Because the only way you enter the kingdom of God and the only way you stay in the kingdom of God is staying humble. And so when you got a problem and you're not doing what you ought to do, Satan wants you to keep quiet about it. He doesn't want you to confess it. He doesn't want the church to pray about it. He wants you just to sit there and hold it in. But if you want to change, if you want things to be different, then you've got to humble yourselves. Right now, you know who Jesus is looking for right now? He's not looking at this big crowd in this room. He's looking for the one of us today who need to come to him. So just humble yourself enough to say, stick your hand up. Need you. I can't explain it all. I don't know how to get it together. But I need you, and I can explain little, and I can enjoy much. And before you leave here, we can pray for you, and things could be different. And don't you worry about your children watching, because they're looking for a church that's not fake. They're looking for a church where people are real, because they know already, listen parents, they know you've got problems. They live in your house, unfortunately. They live in your house, and they've seen it. So they're not going to be shocked. You know what they're going to do? They're going to respect you. 
I, I, I could follow my mom. I could follow my dad when they go, you know what? I'm, oh, I blew it the other day. Man, I'm, I'm so messed up right now. I need the whole church to pray for me. So if you need to come, God's reckless love is after you right now. Won't you come and respond to him as we stand and sing?